How you doing? Awesome. That's, I, I'd never heard that song before. Is that, did you write that? Or is that the one we just sang? Really? That's, for, that's right, that's right from the first three verses we're going to look at today. How, who, somebody sat down one day and said, you know what, I'm going to use First Chronicles chapter 7 as a text for a verse, a song I'm going to write. That's pretty cool. So, turn in your Bibles to First Chronicles 7. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Some of you guys, you guys are, some of you guys are awake, you're following, that's good. I was just testing you. <laughs> Second Chronicles 7. Uh, last time, uh, we're looking here, it's, it's Solomon is king, and we talked about the fact that he is now, the, the, the temple is now completed, and we looked last time together at now as Solomon is dedicating the temple. This is the temple, again, that his father David wanted to build. But God said to David, no, you will not be the one that will build the temple. Your son will be the one. And so David, instead of moping about that and being upset, he set out and the rest of his life. He gathered all of the materials. He made sure everything was in place so that when the time came for Solomon to build the temple, he simply needed to follow the plan that God laid out. And if you'll remember, I've referenced this a couple of times. David, when he's speaking to Solomon at the end of First Chronicles, he says to him, be strong and courageous, act, move forward with what has been given to you, follow the plan, and God will make sure it is seen through to its completion. And we saw that last time and noted that. Here it is, it's completed, just like God promised, Solomon overseeing all of this, and we saw last time the prayer of dedication that Solomon had prayed. And we saw now, as, as this is completed and at the end of chapter six, we begin into chapter seven now, it says, now when Solomon had finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. Again, it, it's, it is hard to do, but try to put yourself into this situation. Again, remember, the, the masses are here. They have sent word out. This is the, the festival of, tab tabernacle, of tabernacles or booths that is being celebrated at this time. This is planned around here. People have traveled from all over the nation to come to this point, to the dedication of the temple. We don't, have estimation, we don't even have estimations of how many people are present. And then we have this prayer of dedication that comes down, and then fire comes down out of heaven, and the glory of God enters the temple. I mean, can just try to put yourself in there, and the, the awe and the wonder. But I'll tell you, as I look at this, I think that something that would be far more amazing to me then the fire coming down out of heaven is the fact that it consumed the sacrifice on the altar and it wouldn't consume me. Because imagine this moment. Imagine what is going on here. This prayer that is being prayed, this, this, this consecration of, the, of this temple, this dedication. And the people to consecrate set themselves apart. And we remember and we point out, and this is, I, I draw my, so, uh, ourselves back to verse 30 of chapter 6. Remember when he says, speaking to God, he says, whose heart, speaking of our hearts, whose hearts you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. God, you alone know. I know how bad my heart is. But I don't know the half of it. Bible says the heart is, is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That word deceit, we, I've referenced that a lot. It's the, the, deceive. In order to be deceived, that means you believe the lie. So if our heart is deceitful, guys, we don't know the half of it. Our hearts have convinced, we've convinced ourselves that we're, we're okay, that we're standing all right. And again, so here we are in this situation. This is, remember, this is, this is 
when the sacrifices were that what we're representing that the the sac, the sacrifice for our sin coming down and instead of consuming me it consumed the sacrifice praise the lord guys that though the blood and the sacrifice of bulls and goats could never cover sin as the bible tells us the perfect lamb of god his blood did tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you are a born-again believer here today, we stand sinless, blameless before God. Perfected before him. We don't have to be worried about being consumed. We don't have to worry about facing the wrath because Jesus took it all for us. And as, as, as tying that together with what follows then, no wonder that, that their response is to fall down in praise, as should be ours continually. And crying out saying, truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. He is good. <laughs> his loving kindness is everlasting. The sovereign, almighty, creator God. The one, the immutable one, the one who cannot change. It's not that he chooses to be the same. He cannot change. It's impossible for God to be anything but holy and perfect and righteous and just. That one cares about you. Cares about me. I don't know about you, again, I'm blown away by that thought again. Just, just again, sitting out yesterday and looking up at the, at the stars and the moon in the morning, it was just a beautiful morning the other morning, just looking up there and thinking, who am I, God, that you'd be mindful of me? Just like the psalmist said. Just blown away by that amazing truth again. And not just that, not just that he'd be mindful of us, not that he'd care about us, but as we talked about on, even on Sunday, that he'd have compassion towards of us enough to the point where he stepped out of, out of his throne, out of, out of his kingdom in heaven, came down here, became one of us, and gave his very life for us, shed his blood for us so that we could stand in his presence, so that we're not consumed Just an amazing thing to behold. Well, it tells us the glory fills the temple so much so that the priests couldn't even enter. Verse four says, then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Thus the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Now that is a lot of sacrifice. That is a lot of blood shed. And again, we've talked of this before. Many people look at that and say, well, that's gross. That's just disgusting. What kind of guy? Guys, we don't, that's not, that's not even, it doesn't even begin to display how disgusting our sin is and how gross our sin is. And it's, and it's just through the blood that, 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 that there's that picture. But again, it's Jesus' perfect blood shed for us that washed away our sin. But the, the part of this that we don't see in this text, we get it from First Kings' record of this, is that this was a peace offering that was given. And that's a time of celebration. Yes, the sacrifice that's given, but the fat portions are burned on the altar. All the rest then is given back to the individual, to then take home and to celebrate and to feast. And it's this this idea of this peace offering, this celebration with one another and with God for how good God is 
how good God is to us, and just a great celebration. Just imagine the masses of people, and this, the, 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 this is one big barbecue that's going on for a couple of weeks here. I mean, 22,000, that's a lot of steaks, and 120,000 sheep dedicating the house to God, a celebration of the fact that, that they are children of God. And guys, that should, we should always be in that mode of celebration. That's why when we, when we have communion together, we say that we celebrate communion. It's something that we celebrate together. Yes, we remember what it cost. But because he paid that cost, we celebrate. We have life. We have eternal life. And we will have this, this banquet together with him one day. Well, so this is going on. It says, verse 6, the priests stood at their posts and the Levites also with the instruments of music to the Lord, which King David had made for giving praise to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Whenever he gave praise by their means while the priest was on their side, blew trumpets and all Israel was standing. Then Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to contain the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat. There was way too many sacrifices going on for that one altar to handle it. So they consecrated this other area, and so this is going on throughout in front of the, the temple. So Solomon observed the feast at the, t- at the time for seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly who came from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, from one end of the country to the other. On the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for the dedication of the altar. They observed seven days and the feast for seven days, so 14 days total. Then on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their tents rejoicing and happy of heart, because of the goodness that the Lord had shown to David and to Solomon and to his people Israel, rejoicing again in the goodness of God and this temple where they now have a place where they can come. Instead of the tabernacle in the wilderness, they have this permanent temple in the city of David in Jerusalem. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that had that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his place. Again, just as David told him and just as God had planned, it's now completed. Verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. This is the second time, remember, that God is now appearing to Solomon. The first time he asked him, what is it that you desire? I'll give you anything you wish. And Solomon asked for wisdom. If you remember, God then said, because you didn't ask for riches and length of life and victory over your enemies and you ask for wisdom, not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you those things that you didn't ask for in wealth and in, in longevity and those types of things. Then the Lord appeared to him this now second time at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now notice verse 13, 13 and 14. It says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Notice, first of all, it says, if I shut up the heavens. If I command the locusts to devour, if I send pestilence, note, among my people. And you might think at that, well, that's, that's kind of harsh. God doing that and sending that to his people. And yes, he's talked of that all through. Remember, Solomon talked, when, if the people do this, if the people sin and turn against you, if they follow other idols, all of these other things. And these things then happen here and they turn, they finally do turn here from heaven. God is speaking to that right now. And he's saying, when I send these things, if they will then humble themselves. Again, God, understand that this is not, this is an act of of correction in God. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Starting in verse 4, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. 
For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for disciples, or I'm sorry, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we are all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and are not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. His, his discipline comes with a purpose, and that is, again, to turn back, to bring people back to him. Again, if it, just like an earthly father, we would, we would think a father or a parent would be negligent if they just let their child continue on in bad behavior without disciplining. And the same is true with, with our heavenly father. And he says, notice, if that happens, when I do this, and my people who are called by my name, they humble themselves. They come to that point. Guys, that's what needs to happen when we are disciplined, when we have gotten us off track, when we have gone astray. And, and then we are disciplined by the Lord. The first thing we need to do is humble ourselves. Don't defend ourselves. Don't try to excuse ourselves. Don't try to come up with anything other than, I'm a sinner. And God, I am sorry. I have, I have blown this. There is no excuse for that. I know better. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. It's not enough to just, just say, I'm sorry, I blew it. To turn, that is to repent, to turn from it, no longer going that path and turning back to the Lord. He said, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We talked of this last week. Though this is written specifically to the Jewish people, speaking specifically to their condition and their situation as they would go through. Guys, there is, there is, this is real for us. It's not, we, I, it's not the darkness's fault that it's getting darker because light always overcomes darkness. It's the light's fault if the world is getting darker and you and I are the light of the world. We, we reflect the light of Jesus. If it's getting darker outside, we can't blame the dark. We have to look at ourselves. And if we would humble ourselves, God, I'm not doing what I'm called to do. I'm not being the example that I need to be at home, in my community, in my workplace. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek his face. Turn. He will. We will shine brighter. It's a promise that he makes. In verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, now he's going to lay this out in these next few verses. He's going to give a couple of if-then statements. If you do this, then this will happen. However, if you do this, then this will happen. God makes it very, very clear. It's not ambiguous in any, in any regard. If you walk before me as your father David walked. Now, was David sinless? No. He's not saying you need to walk before me sinless. We'll get to that in, in a little bit. As your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, notice, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then... I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you, and this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. For this house, which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished 
and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. See, God chose the children of Israel to be a light to the world. He chose them to be his ambassadors, to, to take them out. And if they will follow after him and bring glory to him, he will use them and he will be glorified and honored through that. We see that over and over through victories that they've had and through other things that we'll see as we even going through Second Chronicles and, and other times, using Elijah and other, other places. Those types of things where God is honored and exalted through when people follow after him. However, he said, I'll do the same thing if you don't. I'll, I'll, I, you'll, be, you'll be kicked out of the land, this huge palace that you have here, I will make it destroyed, but people will still know it was by my hand that it happened. But he makes it very clear, does he not? I mean, Solomon could never say at the end of this that we're going to see, he, he won't be able to say, well, I didn't know, God never told me. Made it very clear. And again, speaking to, I will remind you, the wisest man who ever lived. Chapter 8. Now it came about at the end of the 20 years in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, that he built the cities which Huram had given to him and settled the sons of Israel there. Then Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and captured it. He built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he had built in Hamath. He also built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walls and gates and bars and Baalath and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen, and all, all that it pleased Solomon to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and in all the land under his rule. So he's fortifying and building up all of these cities. One of these cities is one of the places we go to when we go to Israel, Megiddo where we actually go into that city, fortified city where they, had, we, they found places where they were the stalls for his horses and the chariots and that different thing, th those different things there. He's going all around. Remember, this is a time of peace. There's, this, there's only one battle recorded Solomon was ever involved in, and it's right there. We looked at verse 3, just this slight mention. He went and captured this one particular place. Other than that, it's a complete time of peace. And we're going to see the wealth and the riches of Solomon that he has. And he's going around and fortifying all of these cities and building up all these and storing all of this stuff, the, the immense wealth that will, that will accumulate during Solomon's reign. All of the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites who were not of Israel, namely from the descendants who were left after them in the land whom the sons of Israel had not destroyed as they were supposed to, them Solomon raised as forced laborers to this day. So he made them slave labor. They had to, they had to work for the, the Israelites. But Solomon did not make slaves for his work for the sons of Israel. They were men of war, his chief captains and commanders of his chariots and his horsemen. These were the chief officers of King Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people. Now, verse 11 says this. Then Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house which he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy where the ark of the Lord has entered. Now, again, we're looking at, at in Second Chronicles, and as we mentioned when we first started in First Chronicles, this is written to the, the Jewish people after they have returned from exile in Babylon. This is all ancient history to them, and they understand why it is that they were taken away into captivity because of idolatry, because of not following after God's commands, all of those things. They understand that. And it's interesting when we read the, the, the record here of, of Solomon's life, because very, very little of his fall away is recorded at all in Second Chronicles. We're going to look at it in a second in, in, in First Kings. But here we see, it's interesting because it's not as though Solomon didn't understand that something was wrong. 
he married this daughter of Pharaoh, something he was not supposed to do. The king was not supposed to marry outside of, of the Jewish people. But he did. He married an Egyptian woman. And he knew it was wrong. He knew it, notice he said he had to build her another house far away so that it's not near the temple because he says that this place, that this place is holy. He knew that that was wrong. But instead of dealing with the issue of sin, he just said, you know what? I'll just move that over there so that I can still worship here and be okay and have that over there. I can have this life here and be okay with that life over there. Guys, here's the deal. We are called to live consecrated, set-apart lives for the Lord. And if our lives are consecrated, that means all of us. A consecrated life cannot be compartmentalized. You can't have little sections here and there. And that's what Solomon is doing here. He's saying, I'm going to have this over here and be able to keep the rest, the rest here. And guys, this is only the beginning. You see, it goes from, from compromise to conformity. And as we see here in a second, we'll read, let's look at 1 Kings 11. To calamity at the end. It tells us in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, it says this, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. And just a little side note, Solomon did not love these women. It was, it was a lustful thing. Because we, husbands, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That is the definition of love a husband is to have towards his wife. You can't do that you got 700 wives. Because verse 3 said he had 700 wives. And 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. Just like God said. 700 wives. 700 mother-in-laws. <laughs> I struggle with the wisest man who ever lived every once in a while with the, but no, just kidding. Just kidding, mother-in-laws out there. I'm just. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, note here, as the heart of David, his father, had been. Remember, God said that to, to Solomon. If you follow after me as your father David did. And here we see that he did not. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the detestable god of the Amorites, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had. Then Solomon built on a high place Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Molech is the god, as we've talked of before, that had the, the, this big fat idol god that had the arms that would stick out and they would heat this idol up to where it was glowing incandescent and then they would put babies in his arms and sacrifice babies. Now we don't know that that, that, that happened with Solomon, but that's Molech. That's how far away it went. Tells us then that now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, 
I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my, of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So we'll look at that more as we continue on with Solomon's son and as that continues. But we see here that just this thing that just started as, okay, well, it's just this one area, it's just this one thing, and if I take it and I move it over here, I can still have this part of my life and still have, I'm still, I'm still fully devoted to God, it's just this little thing over here. And if I move it far enough away, I won't have to think about it, I, nobody else will see it, and I'm still good. Guys, we can't, can't do that. To be fully devoted to God means every aspect of our life. Everything in our life, devoted, consecrated, set apart for him. And we have to be careful because, again, our, our hearts can deceive us. We can, we can end up in a place where we, where we think we're okay with certain things and we can justify certain things. We're going to see in a moment that no doubt Solomon thought that if he did enough sacrifices and followed that procedure correctly that that would take care of the problem, but that doesn't take care of the problem. Again, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter three, take care, brethren, that there is not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, we need to make sure that there is nothing in us, even a little bit, that notice he said, an evil, unbelieving heart. That thing in us that perhaps doesn't fully embrace or believe or, or you know, it goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the, when, when the, the serpent came to Eve, when Satan came to Eve. Did God really say, did he really say that? And if he really said that, is that really what he meant? And if you do it, you really think you're going to die? And an evil, unbelieving heart is any heart that doesn't, again, believe what God says, doesn't trust, and, and moving away from that and starts slip just a little bit, just a little drift. Nobody ever jumps all the way off. It's just a little drifting, just a little bit before you know it. How did I get over here? So we need to examine ourselves, but guys, we also, we also need to encourage one another. I, I love this. Encourage one another day after day so that no one will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's so important. That's why fellowship's so important. People say, you know what? I don't go to church. I do, I do church online. Where's your accountability then? Your computer isn't going to keep you accountable. Your computer isn't going to watch after you and encourage you. That's why fellowship is so important. I hope that you don't come to church ever just to, just to come in, sing a couple songs, hear a message, and skate out. Guys, we're supposed to fellowship. We're supposed to encourage one another. This is, we're not supposed to do this thing alone. First of all, we need to strengthen one another. But again, the deceitfulness of sin how do you know you're being deceived? You don't. <laughs> That's the point of being deceived. You believe, you, th- you think it's okay. And to have those other people around you that says, hey man, wh- what's going on here? Have people close enough to you that can ask you those things. And when are we supposed to do that? I love this. I mean, this, as long as it's still called today. So what is it? today. So and as soon as it stops being today, then you can stop doing that. Notice, I, I mentioned this too, it says, then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the porch, and he did so according to the daily rule, offering them up according to the commandment of Moses, 
For the Sabbaths, the new moons, the three annual feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Probably thinking, you know, okay, if I follow this and I do this and I do this sacrifice on this day and I go to all of these different things, you know, if I'm doing all of that, then all of these other things are okay. And we might think, well, that's silly, but I got to tell you, I know way too often people are saying, you know what, I go go to church and 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 I pray and I tithe and I do my Bible study and I do all that stuff, so I'm good even though all of these other things are out of line. The wisest man that ever lived didn't have the heart of his father David. Because again, David was not sinless. I mean, we look at, we look at the sins of Solomon on, if, 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 if we take it away from the, the last part that we were saying where he's building the idols and putting them up there, we look at those other sins, the sins that the world would look at, you know, in the fact, 700 wives and, and all of these other types of things that he had. And we compare that to the sin of David where he committed adultery with another man's wife and then had that man, that man murdered. And we'd say, man, David, David's is way worse. But David, when he was confronted with that, repented. He turned from the sin. And it tells us that in the same verse, when he repented, he was forgiven. And David writes this in Psalm 51, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Solomon's thinking, God delights in sacrifice, so I'm just going to go do that and everything else will be fine. David understood You don't delight in that, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. All of the other sacrificial system that was going on meant nothing without a broken and contrite heart. To think that I can just, I can live like this all week long and go make my sacrifice on the weekend and be okay, guys, that is a recipe for disaster and absolute misery. It's interesting when we look at when we look at that there was no old testament sacrifice available for adultery and murder the death penalty is what you got for that there was no you couldn't offer a sacrifice to make up for that yet god a broken and contrite heart david was forgiven Well, verse 14, now, according to the ordinance of his father, David, he appointed the divisions of the priests and their service and the Levites for their duties and the praises and the ministering before the priests according to the daily rule and the gatekeepers by the divisions at every gate for David, the man of God, had so commanded. And they did not depart from the commandment of the king to the priests and the Levites in any manner concerning the storehouses. Thus all the work of Solomon was carried out from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord and until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Then Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and to Eloth on the seashore in the land of Edom. And Huram, by his servants, sent him ships and servants who knew the sea. And they went with Solomon's servants to Ophir. And he took from there 450 talents of gold and brought them to King Solomon. That's 17 tons of gold. And that's just the, the tip of it, as just the, the massive amounts of wealth that are accumulated. Verse, chapter 9. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue, which is a group of advisors. She had an entourage. She had a big old posse traveling with her with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. Now, this wasn't just a couple of day journey. We don't know exactly where Sheba was, but estimates are, and conservatively, the different places that are possibilities that commentators give, 2,400 to 2,800 mile round trip to come and see Solomon. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, which is described in 1 Kings, and again, it's a spread every day, 
the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless when she saw everything that was there. It, just, it took her breath away, this queen. Then she said to the king, it is a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. How blessed are your men, how blessed are, those, are these your servants who stand before you continually, continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting, on you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever, therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, that's only four and a half tons, and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. There had never been spice like that which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So now he's accumulating all of these other things as gifts from her. The servants of, of Huram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir also brought algum trees and precious stones. From the algum trees, the king made steps for the house of the Lord, for the king's palace, and lyres and harps for the strings, and none like that was seen before in the land of Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all her, all the, her, all her desire which she requested besides a return for what she had brought to the king then she turned and went to her own land with her servants. Verse 13, again, this is just kind of a recap real quickly about, again, all, of, all that Solomon had. Now the weight which, Solomon came, which came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that which the traders and the merchants brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors and of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of beaten gold on each large shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold using 300 shekels of gold on each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. So he makes this giant throne out of ivory and it is the ivory from elephant tusks, which were much more plentiful at the time, this throne of ivory, and then overlays that with gold. There were six steps to the throne and a footstool in gold attached to the throne, the arms on each side of the seat, and two lions standing beside the arms. I'm assuming those aren't real lions, probably gold or something, of some, something carved. Twelve lions were standing there on the six steps, on the one side and on the other, nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Silver was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. For the king had ships which went to Tarshish with the servants of, of Horem, once every three years, the ship of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. He didn't have Discovery Channel back then, so he brought it to him. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They brought every man his gift, articles of silver, gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen who he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Now we had talked about this again. That's another thing God said. Don't acquire for yourself horses and chariots. Yet he does that. Many things that he went against the word of God with. He was the ruler over all the kings of the Euphrates River, even to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. And if you've been to Jerusalem, there's a lot of stones. And he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. And they were bringing horses for Solomon from Egypt and from all over countries. Again, they weren't supposed to do that. 
Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, from the first to the last, are they not written in the records of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Abijah the, the Shilonite and the visions of Edo the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat? And we'll be introduced to him next time. Solomon reigned 40 years in Jerusalem over all Israel. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. And his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. Now, I just kind of read through a lot of, of that piece there again, just kind of talking about the riches and the, what it was like in the time of Solomon there. And just a couple of quick closing thoughts on this. I, I struggle with this, and I don't know if you do too, because with that whole thing, it talks about, again, Solomon prayed for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. We know, it tells us, the wisest man that ever lived. So what went wrong? What, what went wrong if he's the wisest man that ever lived? The problem is, he was still a man. And again, God gives every man, every woman a free will, a choice to make. And we see, even though he knew right from wrong, he was, and he was wise enough to understand even that, he still made those choices and chased after his own his own desires, and chased all the way through those things. It says, it, and I, I, I got to think a little bit of it too, was even almost boredom, chasing after and going after all of these things. I mean, how, how much wealth can you accumulate? How many things can you have? I mean, how many apes and peacocks can you watch and, and do all that kind of stuff before you start? But instead of chasing hard after the things of God, See, in Ecclesiastes, he talks of that. He chased after the things of the world just to, just to see, just to do these things. And guys, first of all, we don't ever need to make those mistakes ourselves because we see where that ends. We see where that goes. So, again, it's all the wisdom in the world is not enough. It's a heart after God that matters. If we need lit wisdom, God tells us, he desires to give us wisdom. James tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask. Ask. I encourage you to read James chapter 1. And, and, that's in, and read it in context when it's talking about that, when he's, when he's talking about the wisdom piece of that. But God, just ask. God is not into hide and seek. God desires to reveal himself to us and to give us the answers that, we, that we're looking for. But instead of just being like Solomon and saying, here you go, a lot of times what happens is, again, reading it in context, in James chapter 1, we're going to learn through, through, through trials and, and different things, and we're going to learn lessons as we move through that. But the other thing that, that strikes me in this is we look at Solomon and we see his, his riches, his grandeur, his everything. I mean, he lived at the top of, of, the, of the proverbial food chain. I mean, he, was, he had everything. He was the king, king, king. But when the greater than Solomon chose to come, the king of kings, he didn't come like Solomon. He came as a baby born to a couple of peasants, poor, broke people. He didn't come in the lap of luxury. He came, and as he grew, he said, yeah, I don't even have anywhere, I don't even have any place to go and lay down my head so that he can relate to everything you and I go through. If he came like Solomon, I, how many of us can relate to anything Solomon's dealing with? He can't, and he can't, relate to, he can't relate to us. He could never relate to us. Never had to worry about anything. What, 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 what if, what, what, how am I going to take care of this bill? Or what am I going to do with this? Or you know, what, what, what am I going to put on the table tonight to eat? And he never had to worry about any of those things. Everything was all, all there for him. The Bible tells us because the greater than Solomon, Jesus, when he came, he became one of us so that he can relate to whatever it is that we're going through. He experienced all of those things so that when we go to him, we don't have a high priest who can't understand what we're going through, but one who suffered, one who went through it all, yet without sin. 
so that we can go to the, the throne of mercy and get mercy in our time of need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for that truth. The fact that you came humble as a servant. You didn't come to be served, but to serve. Give your life as a ransom for us. So Lord, that we don't have to worry about being consumed in your presence. But we stand blameless in your presence. And Lord, we, we know that we can come to you in anything it is that we're dealing with, anything that we need, we can come to you with our requests and we know that you hear us. Lord, our desire, again, is to not know more about you, but to know you. And Lord, we want to have a heart like David, a heart after yours. Break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. And if there's anything in us, any, anything in our heart that is, that, is, that is deceiving us, that is hardened towards you, Lord, would you show that to us? Break our hearts. We don't want compartments, Lord. You are Lord of all, so we want to be consecrated fully, set apart for you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.